Okay, turn in your Bibles to Lamentations 3.51. The, uh, Brother Harvey tried preaching my message on the phone to me earlier today. And uh, he, uh, he was right on the money with the, the train of thought that, that I'm heading on tonight. Um, Lamentations 3.51 is Jeremiah. And uh, Lamentations, the book, comes from the fact that Jeremiah saw the destruction of Jerusalem. After Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and laid waste to the city, taking a lot of people away and left destruction in their wake. And Jeremiah saw this and he lamented. And when you look in Lamentations 3.51, it says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. I mentioned earlier, and it's true, it's like the Lord has made an invisible channel between our eyes to our heart. Because everything that we see affects us in one way or another. It either affects us for good, or it affects us for bad. And I'll get into that a little bit later, but there's an invisible connection here. There's lots of different um, examples that we see in the Scripture. I want to look at a few tonight, and uh, most of them are stories that you're very familiar with. So we're not going to turn to those passages and uh, for time's sake. But the first one is um, there in Genesis chapter 1. Let's just start at the beginning. That's where God started. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the first thing that God created or on the first day was that he created light. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And what did God do? He saw the light, that it was good. God was satisfied by what he saw. And I'm glad he was. Because he continued on with creation, and here we are today. God was satisfied with the creation that he had made. You know, when we see things, we can be satisfied, or it can move us to do something about what we see. And uh, another illustration of somebody's eyes affecting their heart is in Genesis chapter 3. It's not so much of a pretty picture. We see where Adam and Eve are in the garden, and Satan comes up to Eve in the form of a serpent, And he asked Eve, he said, Hath God said that you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And then Eve, of course, says, Well, yeah, God said we shouldn't eat of it, and we shouldn't even touch it. But then Satan, through his his deceitfulness and his cunning, gets her to look at that fruit. And the Bible says that Eve saw the fruit, that it was good for food. She let her eyes rest on it a little too long. Because she started thinking, what does this fruit, what could this fruit do for me? You know, she had a lust for power. Satan said that God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit because it'll make you be like him. And then she had that lust for power, the lust to be like God. Well, yeah, I want to be like him. So then she took of the fruit and she ate of it and she gave it to Adam and then they sinned. But Eve let her eyes rest on that fruit. You need to be careful what you let your eyes rest upon. Over in Genesis chapter 13, we see a similar situation where somebody fell because of what they let their eyes look on. And this is the story of Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot were going through the land together. They had so many sheep. They had so many servants that they couldn't couldn't live together anymore. So what did they do? Abraham, in his wisdom, told Lot, said, Lot... You choose the land that you want to live in, and I'll go the other way. And Lot, the Bible says, lifted up his eyes, and he saw the green fields, saw the green pastures. Where? Over by Sodom. 
I believe Abraham and Lot knew what Sodom was like. They had lived around in that country. They had traveled around. But yet, Lot had this desire for the good life. Man, it's going to be a lot easier to feed my cattle over there in the green pastures. And you know that town called Sodom? We can handle it. That's okay. It's not that bad. You know, we won't get inside. So we see where, where Lot had lifted up his eyes. And the next time we see Lot, it says that he pitched his tent. Where? Toward Sodom. He got a little bit closer. He let that lure for the good life take him in close to Sodom. And then the next time we see Lot, he was sitting in the gates with the elders of the city. He became as one of them. You need to be careful if the world is very comfortable with you. Something's not right there. If the world is comfortable with you being around them. Okay? We need to be careful that we're not like that we're not like Eve and that we're not like Lot and get drawn away by what we see and then justify our moving toward the world. Over in the book of Joshua, we see the, uh, the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan. Okay, all 12 of these spies, incidentally, Joshua is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But all 12 of these spies went into the promised land together. They were there at Kadesh Barnea. They were ready to take the, the promised land. They were ready to go, and God was ready to give it to them in spite of their murmuring. I think probably most of us wouldn't have lasted as long as God lasted with the murmuring of the Israelites. But they were there, and all the spies went into the land of Canaan. They all saw the land that flowed with milk and honey. They all saw the big, great, big clusters of grapes that it took two men to carry a cluster out. And they all saw the giants, every one of them. Now, when they came back, though, they gave two different reports. One report from the ten spies, the majority, said, we can't go in there. We're like grasshoppers to those giants. They'll kill us. They'll destroy us. They had a fear of defeat that overarched everything else that they were there to do. They had that fear. And yet Joshua and Caleb, they said, hey, God has given us the land. Let us go in and take it. They had a vision for the promise that God had given them. Now, I had a question that came up in my mind, though. What made the difference between what they saw? They all saw the same thing, and yet they came out with two very differing reports. What made the difference? Some would say faith, and I think that's true. Joshua and Caleb had the faith. Some would say that, uh, you know, that uh, the others, they just murmured too much. You know, they were scared. I believe this faith that Joshua and Caleb had, though, goes a little bit further back. You see, before they got into the promised land, they had a healthy relationship with God. They had a relationship with God. You see that in Joshua's life. He was under the servant, he was under Moses for many years, and uh, he was faithful. He didn't follow in the worship of the golden calf. Joshua was a man that God could trust. Joshua had a good relationship with God. Now, when they went into the land of Canaan, Joshua and Caleb were prepared for what they were going to see because of that relationship that they had with God. Now, all of us here tonight, on a Wednesday night, usually is kind of the core of the church, the folks who really mean business. And I appreciate the attitude that I can sense here tonight. But you know, these um, um, Joshua and Caleb, 
They, uh, I lost my train of thought. Let me catch it again. All of you here tonight see many of the same things in the city of Colleen. I've only driven through Colleen one way. I haven't even driven out yet. I've never been here before. And uh, Texas is a big state. There's lots of places to see. But uh, all of you see many of the same things as you drive back and forth in the town. Some things are good things to see. Some are bad things to see. But you know, how your heart is affected by what your eyes see is going to depend on your relationship with God before you see those things. Before you get in that situation. There's kind of a hot word out today, and it's the word called proactive. Be proactive, which basically means take care of the problem before it becomes a problem. Okay, don't wait till you get in the bottom of the barrel before you call out to God, before you start having a relationship with God. Have your relationship for God what it ought to be now, so that when you get in those difficult situations, when you get in those temptations, you have the strength behind you to help you answer those things. And then your eye can affect your heart for righteousness. You see, the ten bad spies, their eyes affected their heart for evil. It caused fear in their heart. But in Joshua and Caleb, it bolstered them up. They said, hey, God's behind us. God's given us the promise. Let's go take the land. What's your relationship with God tonight? What's your relationship with God? When you come in, come in uh, contact with the giants, what are you going to do? Are you going to run and hide because you're afraid? Or are you going to claim the promise that God's given you? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Your relationship with God will determine how your heart is affected by what your eyes see. pastor was about to preach to me in the Gospels this morning when I was talking to him. And I had this written down too. Nine times in the Gospels, nine times in the Gospels, we see where Jesus looked on the multitudes... He saw the multitudes and had compassion on them. I think that's comforting that our Lord could do that. Our Lord came as flesh, flesh and bone. He had real eyes, just like you and I have. He had a heart that could feel. And he looked on the multitudes and had compassion. What do you feel when you see people around you? pastor mentioned to me on the phone said how many people have actually put their arm around a drunk i have in uranium city and uh, as a small community we had drunks come to our door all the time they'd want ten dollars i want to borrow ten dollars terry well i knew what borrow meant and usually if i gave them anything it was given it wasn't loaned but i didn't give them money i did that once and learned my lesson real fast and uh, But it's true. When you start rubbing shoulders with the people of the world, the same people that Jesus came to die for, it's going to change your heart. When you see them, it's going to change the way that your perspective on the world. Going down into Mexico, let me ask you, how many... I should have asked this in the beginning to know who I'm preaching to. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip uh, somewhere? Hello, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many of you had a different perspective when you came back than when you went? 
It really adds a, a whole different meaning to life, doesn't it? You go down into Mexico and you see people that live in cardboard shacks with bed springs for gates. You know, that's not like your suburban Colleen, Texas. And you, you start to weigh out the, what, what values really matter. Those of you, I, excuse me, almost nearly every hand went up. But let me encourage you, if you have not gone on a mission trip, get together with your pastor. Get together with some people from the church here and go. Just go anywhere on a mission team where you have a spiritual purpose of giving out the gospel and seeing folks for who they are, for who Christ died for. And not just as a, as a, a bum or a, or a dropout. See them for what Christ saw them for. I want to give you two missionary verses tonight and then I'll close. They're verses that are pretty common whenever a missionary comes around. But I want you to think of them in a little different angle. And the angle is from our heart being affected by what we see. In John chapter 4 and verse 35, Jesus told his disciples, John 4:35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. And look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Lift up your eyes. Why was Jesus wanting his disciples to lift up their eyes? Just to say, oh yeah, there's lots of people out there. I don't think so. I think Jesus wanted his disciples to be affected like he was. He wanted them to lift up their eyes and have compassion on the multitudes. To see them in the state that they really are. And that's in a, in a state of being doomed to hell without Christ. And then he says over in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 2, he says, Truly the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, just like you're going to do tomorrow night, like you did tonight. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers, into his harvest. We enjoy seeing folks in the Wigs of Eagles ministry go on a mission trip who had never been before. <clears throat> we usually find when somebody's gone, they want to go again because they get that burden, they get that fire, and they get the excitement of taking the gospel or going to visit that mission field. And, uh, but we enjoy seeing folks who have never been on a mission trip before go because you see their eyes open. Sometimes you see them because they think, I've never seen anything like this before. But usually by the time the week is done, by the time the mission trip is finished, you see that their heart's been affected. Many times we've seen team members break down and cry, break down and weep because they've seen something that they've never seen before. They've seen people who are genuine, people who are real, Native believers down in Mexico who don't have the distractions that we have in America get focused in and they're excited about serving the Lord. We've seen them cry because their heart has been affected by what their eyes have seen. Now, Wings, like I showed you in the slides, is involved in a few different areas in the flight camp and the meeting in the air and the, and the, uh, the Wings outreach and the hangar and all this. But at the core of the ministry 
is to try to get people out on the field so that they can see it and be forever affected. Because when they come back to their home church, they've got a burden for missionary, they've got a burden for missions, and they've usually got a greater burden for lost souls. And we tell them, and said, hey, be careful. When you pray and ask the Lord to send forth laborers, you better watch out. Because the Lord might just answer your prayer. And you might just be the one that he's going to send. Lots of times we've gone on a mission trip and we want to be a blessing. We want to be an encouragement. But many, many times we come back with more of a blessing than we left. And I think that's exciting. That's what Wings as Eagles is all about. Let me ask you, how is your heart affected by what you see? Whether it's looking at believers, looking at the kids... When you see kids, do you see the future of your church? Do you see Christians raising up and then want to invest your life in them? When you see the bum out on the street, do you see a person who has potential if God would get in touch with them, if God would grab a hold of their life and change them? Is that how your heart is affected? I hope it is. I'm not sure, but why there might be somebody here tonight that doesn't know the Lord as your personal Savior. And let me ask you, when you hear the preaching of God's Word, how, how are you affected? I saw Christ back when I was eight years old. I was saved at a youth camp back in Wynn, Arkansas. You say, where? Wynn. Wynn. <laughs> it's uh, in northeast Arkansas. And I knew when I was a little boy... That if I died, I was going to go to hell. I went forward on a Wednesday night. And uh, a buddy of mine and I, we made a dare. We said, if you go up front, I'll go up front. So we did. We both went up front at the invitation. Neither one of us got saved that night, I don't think. But maybe it got me thinking because on Friday night at the invitation, the invitation was given and I knew if I didn't die, that I, or if I died, that I wasn't going to heaven. And as a little eight-year-old boy, I didn't like that idea. I didn't like that thought. I wanted to go to heaven. But yet, there was something inside of me. There was something that just didn't want me to, didn't want me to give in. Did you feel like that when you were saved? There was just a struggle, an inner struggle. Like there were chains around you. But then when I made that decision, and I stood up, Later I went down and prayed, but my decision for the Lord was when I stood up. I said, yes, Lord, I accept you. Then it felt like I was light. Like there was a burden lifted off of me. There's a uh, a week ago last Friday, when we were coming back from Mexico, I had the privilege of leading a man to the Lord there in El Paso, Texas. And uh, a guy who worked there at the airport. And uh, we got done praying, and, and he looked at me and said, man. I feel different. I said, that's cool. I did too when I was saved. And uh, he says, yeah, it's, it's like I'm free, like I'm happy. And uh, you know, salvation isn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's what Christ does in your heart. That's what the Lord can do. He can relieve you of that sin burden. I remember after I was saved, I went down to the front, and it felt like I was running down like it was a steep downhill incline. I went back a number of years later, and I went and looked at that outdoor tabernacle. It's flat as a pancake. And, uh, but you know, it's the, the joy that the Lord gave me when I was saved. And if you're here tonight, 
And if you don't know the Lord is your personal Savior, if you don't know that you're going to heaven, let me ask you to talk to pastor, talk to me, talk to one of the other men of the church, and make sure that you're going to heaven. That's the best decision you can ever make. It's an eternal decision. And I want to leave that with you tonight. Pastor, I'm going to turn the invitation over to you, but I want you to, to really consider how you're, how you're affected by what your eyes see. And make sure that your heart is right with God so that you'll be affected for righteousness, so that you'll be affected for good. And then exercise that burden for missions and uh, getting involved in missions on the mission field. And the Lord will take that and he'll run with it. And uh, appreciate you letting us be here tonight. Pastor.